0: Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kukaro. And this is going to be a grab bag episode, meaning I'm going to answer some questions that I received via email and just provide a little bit of background information regarding Straight Shot Health Talk and some of the changes that um, longtime listeners may have seen and wondered why about. To start that off, if anyone hasn't noticed, or if anybody has actually gone back through old episodes, you may have seen that I stopped doing an intro. Oh boy, I'm not even sure exactly when I stopped doing the intro. And and there's, I actually had someone ask about that. Why, you know, why did you change that? And to be honest, the, the main one was laziness. And that has just due do as, I do this more for fun. You can kind of tell from my publishing history that I'm not the, uh, the most consistent when it comes to the stuff. I get sidetracked. I get, get uh, a lot of other things going on, and um, I, f- I forget about this podcast at times. And so when, you, when, you, when I try to put in those intros and outros, um, that does take a couple minutes. Not super a long time, but it takes a couple minutes. But the other major one for a while I took out the outro, or the intro, I mean, was because I listen to podcast myself. And there's this big push to make more you know podcasts more professional and have all this fancy stuff and get like some person to introduce you on, on your on all your podcasts. And uh, I think that matters maybe for the first one or two episodes, if that, for people to like take you seriously. Um, but after that, it gets really annoying. And what I have found myself doing is when I listen to these podcasts, it's the same damn thing every time. So I just skip over it every single time. So I thought, hey, this is not meant to be some super serious podcast. We're talking about serious subject matter, absolutely, but we're, this is not uh, you 60-minute know, news or anything like that. So this is certainly not taking $50,000 of, of budget to produce this thing. Uh, so I figured well, the easiest way is just to not do the intro anymore. You know who I am. I briefly announce who I am. I talk about briefly what the episode is, but you don't have to have all this fancy music or anything else. If for someone for some reason out, someone out there thinks that we need to incorporate that. Absolutely. Let me know. And uh, if there's if 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 I'm wrong about this and people absolutely love hearing the same intro over and over and over again, I will try to reincorporate it back in a stretch out health talk. Hopefully that is not the case, though. Um, other things. So I, if if you sign up for the emails at straightshothealth.com, uh, one of the first questions I do ask you there is why that you you signed up. And so I kind of want to just kind of go through those a little bit and provide not saying people's names, but providing some insights that may I may or may not have been able to touch on when I respond to those uh, and just kind of keep some really important things out. So the first one here, this was from actually not that long ago. And this person was when I originally signed up at your website was interested for other people in my life and just as a way of furthering my own knowledge. Since then, I had a canoe accident that left me with pain that I felt almost every day for almost five months. Now, I went to acupuncture, chiropractor and uh, uh, physician. Nothing has lasting results. So, yes, I'm personally interested in how to get rid of pain once and for all. This is, again, I talk about pain a lot. I probably should have focused the podcast uh, more specifically and giving it a pain-related name so that it comes up on iTunes as a pain podcast. Um, But I didn't do that unless maybe someday I'll I'll reframe it. But there's a lot of questions about how do I get rid of pain once and for all? And I want to kind of flip that question on the head. I think I, I, I get confused on what I've actually published or not. Maybe it doesn't matter. Um, because it's always good to hit things up again. But the goal, when it comes to pain specifically, when we're talking about pain, the goal when we're talking about pain and this huge big construct of your life is not to get rid of it. Pain, we've evolved or we were designed, whatever your beliefs may be. But from an evolutionary standpoint, Pain has a purpose. It protects us. And if you didn't experience pain, you would lose a massive protective element in your life. Just think about that. You would no longer know if you got scratched, whether you had a broken bone, whether you had an infection. Uh, You wouldn't take care of yourself. You would. be significantly more likely to die if you if you think of there's a couple of conditions that interfere in our normal pain protective system, particularly on the, along the sensory aspect. One of which being leprosy, and what leprosy is, you know, people have these views from you know, the first time I think I saw leprosy was in the movie Ben Hur with Charlton Heston, uh, that that leprosy causes your body to rot off, and that is not the case at all. What leprosy is, is it's a, it, it damages small sensory fibers out in your body, the, 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 the nerves that send information up to the brain. And as we know from the pain triangle, if you do not have that sensory information coming up, then just like a fire, if you disrupt the fuel source, it becomes very, very difficult to produce pain from that or using that fuel source. Okay, You can still experience pain. But you cannot. uh, It becomes much more. You you don't. It's harder to use that particular type of sensory information from the body in order to create an experience of pain. Okay. So what happens when people have leprosy is they get small scratches, cuts, and and damage to their tissues. And we have to remember that the purpose of our of our skin and those protective that it's a giant protective membrane designed to keep stuff out of our body. And to keep water and fluids in our body, right? if we didn't have skin, we'd be in a lot of trouble. We'd be like amoeba running around out in the out in a pond somewhere. So if our if our skin gets scra- scratched or cut, we need to know about that so we can wash the wound, that we can banish the wound, so we can watch and make sure that the wound is healing adequately. If you don't have that and you neglect it, you now start getting infections, bacterial infections. They start eating away at your flesh, that can cause um, ultimately body parts to rot off, like we see in leprosy. Okay, and another not quite as significant way where this, where being able to understand that pain is not the enemy here, is in people who have significant peripheral neuropathy from diabetes. Actually, leprosy is a peripheral neuropathy, but diabetes too, where people have to do diabetic foot exams. Why? Because they have to make sure that they're not getting infections around the toes. They have to make sure that they're cutting their toenails safely and effectively because those infections, if you do not notice them, and pain, again, pain is a, both a protective system and a, in a strong way to make sure that you're paying attention to something. If you don't have that, that's bad. Now, then people go, well, well, if pain is protective, then why do we have chronic pain? And what I would like to challenge when it comes to that is there are two ways to think about this. People have a tendency to label pain as being either acute or chronic. So you cut yourself broken leg type of pain, that being an acute pain, and that is quote-unquote protective. And then chronic pain where there is no longer a broken leg And we assume that the body has, or at least the tissues in the body have healed, and which seems over and over and over going to be the case, that somehow that is now maladaptive, a punishment mechanism, that something's broken, that I just read something now, someone's saying you're addicted to to particular nerve information, and that causes it doesn't make a lot of sense when you start thinking about the body and what makes sense for you. Um, But if we continue to view pain as a protector— and we are stop, and we start moving away from this idea that pain is a sign of body damage, and that pain is only associated with damage to the body. Both of which, if you've been a listener to Straight Shot Health Talk, you know is not true. We start seeing, well, what is it trying to protect you from? All right, and there are mul- multiple threats that we can perceive in our environment. There's the physical threats. There is threats that that are done to the body. So if a broken bone is a threat that you must perceive and sensory information helps to do that. But other ones, I mean, one of the things that is really cool about pain is that it has, uh, it is associated with your memory, right? <laughs> In understanding pain, just trying to protect you, one of the ways it's trying to do it, ideally is trying to keep you from having any sort of significant harm to yourself. If you do get harmed, it's trying to limit The degree of harm that is being that is done now and it is trying to prevent future harm from occurring to you. Right. So how it does that is it has a strong interplay with memory. If you have touched a red hot burning stove when you were three years old you are significantly less likely to hutch, touch a red-hot burning stove in the future because you're going to feel that heat before you touch it. You're going to have that memory of what occurred before. And because of that painful memory, you're not likely to touch it again. So it's a protection. Now, in chronic pain, interestingly, though, we have to, look at a, we have to do a little bit wider net at what those potential threats or perceived threats it could be protecting us from. Okay. Now there is a, a a an association or a correlation with chronic pain with things like childhood trauma. There is an association with chronic pain and highly traumatic injuries. There is associate association with chronic pain with um with traumatic relationships, abusive relationships, not just physical abusive relationships, but emotional, psychological abusive relationships. So I want you to kind of challenge this: is when you are experiencing pain, and we understand that pain is trying to protect you. you get your brain, your body loves you. The other thing that drives me crazy, all this stuff, is we keep telling people with, with chronic or persistent pain that they're broken. It makes no sense. Almost every sort of physiologic process in the body uh, that we have diseaseified in a lot of ways, shapes, or form is generally a process of taking something that was designed to be protective and extending it beyond a, a range. Now, some people will say, well, that no longer is effective. And I would say, no, it's because we don't understand why that is occurring. And it makes more sense to understand so we can redirect it and return it back to where it's supposed to be, but not to see it as that we are permanently damaged or permanently broken or that chronic pain is a, is, is a, is a persistent state that there's nothing you can be done about. So what I would say is if you have pain, Whatever the case may be, the first thing that to do is you, you go through the circles. I'm going to call these the circles of protection. The first one is the physical realm. Have I had an injury? Have I had trauma, meaning did I fall off a building? Did I, did I smash my toe against something? Did I just chop my finger off while I was trying to cut a carrot? Was there a, a, a mechanistic injury that there was a, a potential... Association with physical harm, okay that you have a broken bone, big old cut, you're bleeding all over the place. okay um, this doesn't happen as much as we would think, okay we are, are again, if your body is trying to protect you, things that do not cause t- trauma can still create pain. If you stub your toe, you didn't mean you destroyed or shattered the bones in your in your toe. What you did is you exceeded the general Sensory pathways. That moment in time, like we have sensory information coming from the body all the time, but it was a significant change from what was present from before. So, it'd be like if all of a sudden I screamed really loud right now, that'd be a big change. And if I, and it would you'd want to draw attention to it to see if that change was there for a reason. So the same way, if you stubbed your toe, doesn't mean you you shattered it. Just means that there was a significant change in the sensory information coming from the toe. Okay. So if you had that mechanistic trauma, so then you assess, did I break my toe? Is my toe moving? Da, 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 da. Again, the pain itself is just trying to protect you. And you can have horrible pain from stubbing your toe, and you can have no pain from stubbing your toe, all right? Because there's other, those other elements that create pain. If you're thinking about the pain triangle are also involved in this thing, if you're in a highly threatening environment, if you are... Uh, um, if you haven't slept for a long period of time, that has effects on how you process because that's a, a stressor. You're more likely to see threat with that. If you, in the context of feeling other threats, if you have had other injuries in your body as being hyper-aware, or hyper-protective state, those can have an in-play on that. None of which have anything to do with the, with the sensory information coming from the tissue. But that's the first circle, that physical degree of protection. The second one that you can consider, it would be our environmental or contextual circle of protection. So in that scenario, now we've excluded broken bones and things. So then we start looking with the environment. Am I in a threatening environment here? Am I walking around a pool with full of glass? Am I working down a dark alley? Am I in in a room full of people who look potentially harmful? Those threats, again, your brain is trying to protect you from. Look at those threats. How do you get out of that environment, that contextual scenario where you have, where, where there is a high degree of perceived threat. Okay. Now that is not physical harm, but there is a potential physical harm. And if you're in a very threatening environment, right? The next circle of protection, you can start, start can thinking about is the emotional circle of protection. Do you have a past history of trauma? We may or may not have done an episode on adverse childhood events. What are adverse childhood events, sometimes known as the ACEs scale? Those are um, a an assessment that I think if you just, if you just Google adverse childhood event scale, it'll give you a list of I think it's around 11 questions that talk about traumas that you experienced while you were a child. And these can include things like having um, uh, an abusive parent, witnessing an abuse of a parent by another parent or other caregiver, Uh, obviously emotional, sexual abuse, those type of things. But what we've seen from adverse childhood events is the more of those experiences that you have as a child, the more likely you are to have significant um, morbidities and mortality as you get older. And these are things from anxiety, depression, addiction, and pain, And which have a very complex interplay there, but also to things like inflammatory disorders, cardiovascular disease, including early heart attacks and accelerated heart disease. Now, how could childhood trauma affect future health? Well, always think of the brain in terms of protecting. Okay, it is always trying to protect you. And if you had these significant childhood traumas, what do you think your brain is trying to do? trying to, pro- to be more threat sensitive to protect you in the future if a similar scenario develops. Meaning, if you don't know, if you were a child in an abusive, an abusive environment and the door is opening and you hear a squeak of the door and you do not know whether it is because, you know, if, if, if dad's coming home and he's drunk at the bar and he's going to beat you or your mom or you're going to feel like you need to protect your siblings because of his, his, his alcohol-induced rage, or whether he's just coming home from work and maybe he's having a good day. Your default response is going to be trying to protect you. It's going to be perceiving a threat just from that that can, you know that that daily occurrence. You're going to more likely to see threat there than not because that protects you. It makes more sense for you to see, "Oh my god, dad's drunk coming in through the door every time the door opens." Because you are more likely to either protect yourself, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, do the things that you need to do to make sure that you are surviving, right? Than to assume that every time the door opens, Dad's going to be in a good mood, and then deal with the repercussions of not being able to have preacted or responded appropriately when he actually is coming home in, as a raging drunk. Okay, so this is really key. When your brain has become threat sensitive, it is more likely to perceive threat when you see stress. Now, I know I just did an episode on the difference between challenge stress and threat-based stress, okay? And if your brain is being, again, it is now primed to view a threat when you see stress or have a stressful response, it is going to activate that threat pathway or that threat, um, uh, The the cortisol is going to be Preferentially activated as 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 compared to the catecholamine pathway, so that long-acting pathway, which has long downstream effects, including things like depression, obesity, diabetes type two, uh, inflammatory disorders, and difficulty with those, uh, uh, poor response to outside steroids. When if you are now steroid-responsive because your your steroid system is all screwed up, and including cardiovascular disease. All right, because that threat sensitivity. Are you broken? No. Is, is because of these things that occurred in your childhood that you were a broken person? No. What it does mean is that your brain was trying to protect you as a child. It started to change, and, and we have a lot of neural development occurring at, and when we're younger, and that's why when you start looking at early childhood trauma, earlier, earlier, earlier has greater long-term effects because there's a lot of neural uh, plastic changes associated with it. But once we recognize that, What this allows us to do is start thinking proactively and preactively to start saying, I am not broken anymore. This is my childhood trauma is is making my brain to see threat uh, in places where it isn't, which, lo and behold, makes us more likely to experience pain. Now, where am I going with this? Well, because one part of the pain world, you know, we we have... The pain world is just a really interesting sort of beast right now. We have, um, we have the biomechanical approach that believes that pain pus oozes out of stuff and everything. Pain is caused by one thing, whatever that one thing is. It's either body pain pus because you've got damage to the tissues or you have brain pain pus because we're telling people that they have central sensitization and now your brain is oozing pus and it's addicted to pain, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's the pain pus side. On the other side of it, we have the, the more Sarno-esque, and I'm referring to John Sarno side, which believes that there's two pains, that there is physical pain and then there's emotional pain and they're not the same thing and, um, and they're not really related to each other. And then all emotional pain is due to, in, this, in John Sarno's way, of repressed anger and uh, other people kind of compound that as having to do with fear. And um, that's not necessarily the case Either, but the 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 strength that the Sarno side does have is recognizing that strong emotional contribution to to how we create pain. And when it comes to persistent and emotional and uh, persistent and chronic pain, that emotional component becomes becomes huge. Because again, the way I, again framing these things from a threat and in a repression standpoint, instead of seeing it as, as strictly that you're repressing anger or you're repressing rage or you have unconscious fear. When your pain is experienced and it flares, rather than thinking it's just about repression, start looking at potential threats. So where are you feeling threat? Is there a new relationship that is has similar mannerisms to a past abusive relationship? Are there new threats at work? Are there new threats at home? Are you sleeping well enough? Because prolonged sleep deprivation is actually a stressor to your body and your body will prime itself to say, threat, threat, threat. And if you're sort of wired to, to experience a, um, if you have one particular pain and the one I'm most typically thinking about is low back pain, that seems to flare and oftentimes seems to flare when there's a stressor That back pain isn't a sign that your back is disintegrating or is damaging. What it is is your brain trying to protect you from something, from some potential threat that it is concerned about, right? So when the absence of you have not had any trauma, you haven't fallen off a building, you haven't had anybody hit you with a baseball bat and your back pain flares, the first place I would start looking at is where else am I feeling threatened by and address those stressors. So this is sort of a long way to to kind of talk about is how do you get rid of pain once and for all? The question is how to understand your pain and what is it trying to tell you? Because again, there's a message with pain and ultimately and wow, we're going much farther this this one little question here that I anticipated, but ultimately is trying to make sense. What is your pain trying to tell you? Let's add on to that. What is your brain trying to protect you from and if you can answer that question and again not just thinking in physical threats like someone beating you with like a baseball bat or broken bones but the contextual protection the environmental protection the psychological protection the emotional protection the prior memories that that may be associated with something that is trying to protect you from the more we can answer that question what is my pain trying to protect me from now, the more likely we're to be able to answer that question, the safer we're likely to feel, because when we understand something, we feel safer, and the less pain we're likely to experience. And so, I'm, I'm kind of, is that kind of coming through there? Pain is trying to protect us, so the key question we should be asking is, what is it protecting us from? And when we expand that understanding to there are lots of different places that pain can protect us from, different circles, different domains that it is trying to protect us in, we can start answering that question in a way that can help improve how our pain how the pain they were experiencing. So it doesn't surprise me when people I, I, you know who who fully buy in to the work of John Sarno. Again, he had some great insights. I really get upset because I wish he had stayed up to date on the science of pain, and I think he would have had um, even better effects and better understanding of, for his patients and and being able to work with healthcare providers. Um, but one of the things that they're doing is when they recognize you know, these these they're assigning it to repressed anger. But when they can recognize that that pain is not a sign of damage, but is inside of the reflection of something else, and they assign that new meaning to it, which doesn't mean that they're broken, lo and behold, people can get better. And I'm not talking about like the typical pain management where people run around getting better and they're on, instead of, you know, OxyContin, twice a day, down to a couple of Vicodin in a couple of days. I'm talking about on no meds at all. And, and, uh, so anyway, that's, um, a very long answer to a, some feedback I got from straightshothealth.com at the, at the list lesson, email list there. And I think that's all we're going to do for this episode. So until next time, folks, stay well.